Welcome back to the program, although the origins of the quote are a bit murky. The idea that the only way to predict the future is to invent it certainly seems true in the 21st century. In fact, the future is being invented right now as technology moves from dedicated devices to virtually everything else. Soon everything from our pens to our trash cans to our kitchens to our most intimate desires will be connected to each other and to us in ways unimagined until now. My guest, David Rose, is on the cutting edge of inventing that future, a future that he believes will involve enchanted objects. That's the title of David Rose's new book. David Rose is an award-winning entrepreneur and instructor at the MIT Media Lab. He's a former CEO at Vitality, a company that reinvented medication packaging. He founded Ambient Devices, which pioneered technology to embed Internet information in everything. And it is my pleasure to welcome David Rose here to talk about Enchanted Objects, Design, Human Desire, and the Internet of Things. David, thanks so much for joining us. I'm happy to join you. It's fun to have this conversation. Well, it's great to have you here today. What I want to talk about first is what you mean by Enchanted Objects. I want to sort of get that definition out there, and then we can talk about how we're, we're going to get there. Well, I'm on a mission to make technology more elegant, more embedded, more humane. And I think the way to get there is to free ourselves up from these black glass slabs, the things that these smartphones that are monopolizing our attention, and instead spread technology and spread interfaces into almost every conceivable thing. So an enchanted object is an ordinary thing, a pen, a trash can, a shoe, a piece of jewelry, that is itself what it was before, but then something else, something new because of the fact that it's connected. That aspect, though, that we are connected to everything with the objects around us and, and the goal of trying to achieve that, does that take humanity more and more out of the equation? Does it make us more at one with technology? And is there a good and bad side to that? My sense, I'm I'm sure there are things that are lost as as we have technologies that that enable us to do more. Um, but I do I feel like the way out of this conundrum of all of us glued to our Twitter streams and Facebook accounts um, is to start to diffuse technology into more things and more surfaces. And you know, an example is uh, I I'm happy to have my little kids who are ages six and 11 talk to my parents, their grandparents, as much as they, as much as they're both willing to. Um, but by, but by having them use FaceTime on a, an iPad or on a smartphone, it means that they have all these other games and all these other things that will monopolize their attention before or after talking to their parents. But by having just a single purpose built set of cabinets, one in our living room and another one in my parents' uh, kitchen, which is in Wisconsin, a long way away, they can just open the cabinet, they can see each other, and they can have a short conversation about whatever, what, about homework, about cooking, whatever they talk about, and they can, they can be done, and they can just have that simple interaction that's just, that's just, that doesn't involve an app store and doesn't involve a lot of complexity on either side. And that's sort of what I'm talking about in terms of you know, taking, these, taking these apps off of the screen and embedding them everywhere. To try and understand it in a more contemporary sense, one of the things that you talk about is this kind of second stage, this part two of the, our relationship to technology, going from the terminal world, which is sort of where we are now, 
to all this fixation right now with wearables, to things that just become part of us? Yeah, in the book I talk about about different futures that position technology in different places relative relative to us. So in the the, the first future, there's sort of the normal pro- trajectory that everyone assumes, which is more glass slabs demanding our attention and interrupting us and sort of being obnoxious and wreaking havoc on our human relationships. Um, the second one is uh, a future where we locate technology in and on ourselves, sort of the Google Glass future. And I think that's really problematic because, again, social isolation. We'll all be looking at a different thing. Um, you'll choose to you know, augment the architecture around you. I'll choose to hide homeless people. You'll choose, you know, we'll, we won't have this, any sort of consensual view of, of the world around us, which I think will be like everyone wearing headphones except far worse. <laughs> Another option is to put technology... Uh, and outsource it sort of into the world of social robots, which will increasingly look human-like and I think feel creepy and things we won't want to surround ourselves with, like they'll appear to be Frankensteins or zombies in our lives. And so I think this fourth future, the most desirable one, is where we embed a little bit of connectivity and a little bit of smarts into everything. Um, And that will make our interaction to technology a lot simpler because you know, the umbrella that only wants to tell you the weather can just have that augmentation and doesn't have to do anything else. And so rather than having these devices that consolidate technology, it'll instead be sprinkled and spread lightly. So arguably we'll have more devices instead of less, that they won't be kind of the consolidation people might have imagined in some future scenario. Yeah, I think of them as as, as any sort of mature technology we surround ourselves with today. Like, think about how you adorn your house. You have many postcards, many photos, many paintings. It doesn't seem overwhelming because they're not trying to do a lot, but they're just quietly waiting for you to pay attention to them. Or another mature category like shoes, where you don't have one perfect shoe that serves all purposes. Instead, you have this rich uh, diversification and specialization that happens or wine glasses or knives or, you know, any of these other types of tools, you have diversification and, um, and more of sort of a craft, uh, as a, or even fashion as a differentiator rather than uh, trying to have the perfect one thing. I guess the difference is, and this is what makes a lot of people nervous, I suppose, is the degree to which all of these things in this future world are connected. That somehow, you know, your nest is connected to your live scribe, to your jawbone, et cetera, et cetera. And that that scares some people in terms of the ability of everything in their lives to somehow be connected with each other. Yeah, I can see why that why that feels uncomfortable but it but it does seem like things working together and cooperating on your behalf is certainly something you would you want from from people or entities that serve you you know you, you want you want people to know when other people are speaking so that they don't all try to speak at once um you want things to have a hierarchy and say you know i'm 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 the device that should be uh the most important in your life right now. I, you know, the, the person is driving right now, so no, she can't respond to this and to this other thing. You know, so there's a sense of, of hierarchy. Um, and so I think there's a lot of promise to have 
things sort of working together and talking together on your behalf. Um, I know that a lot of people are concerned about the risk of where does the data go, and I I think that's a uh, that's certainly a valid and important concern. But I think we can design uh, security models into the architecture of smart things so that they can, for example, be easily lobotomized, be, you know, easily forget everything they ever knew about you, um, uh, or certainly have the services be an opt-in model. I, my last company, I invented this um, smart medication packaging called the Glow Cap, uh, and it was... Uh, look like an ordinary cap that would fit on that fits on an amber vial and can talk to the cloud and because it can talk to the cloud it can text you so you don't forget to take a medication it can uh on an opt-in basis send data to a loved one so that they can see which days you did or didn't take a medication as a once a week email so i choose to do that with my dad and he does the same with me so we can give each other a little bit of social competition or social support um, you can also get the data to flow to a physician, if you so choose, or to the pharmacy for automatic refills, if you choose. But all of these things are opt-in and not a default opt-in, not a default uh, on state, and then you have to opt out. Does that make sense? Yes, indeed. And one of the things that you talk about is one of the, the kind of underlying reasons why you think this future will be like this is a number of human desires and human drives that will inevitably, in your view, lead us to this kind of future. Talk about those six drives and and the interconnection, the nexus between those and this technological future we're talking about. Well, in the book, I go back to uh, walk through some of the fairy tales of the Grimm brothers and Hans Christian Andersen, uh, some, some myth, some Greek myth, and some... Uh, spy culture and some superpowers that we've always longed for through comic books, for example. And what you see in those stories is repeated patterns of enchantment, of of flying carpets that transport us effortlessly, or um, invisibility cloaks that hide us from danger, or crystal balls that allow us to see far away or to know what the future holds, or a horn or whistle that summons help. Um, so I categorized the the world of Internet-connected things along these desires, along these uh, desires that we've had forever, the desire for omniscience or to, to know all, the desire for telepathy or to seamlessly connect with a loved one, uh, the desire for safekeeping or for immortality, uh, the desire for teleportation or seamless travel. And lastly, the, I think the most interesting of, of the six is the desire for personal expression or personal manifestation, being able to make something or, uh, or feel competence in terms of playing, like playing an instrument or playing tennis. And I think that that's the category that I'm really most that I get most excited about because that that answers the question about well, if if technology is taking away um, some of the drudgery, some of the uh, the tasks that we don't want to be doing as humans. Well, then, what what will what will we do with our time, and how will we um, learn and play and make things differently? And you know, there, I think of devices like the uh, like I worked on a project with Lego called the Lego Mindstorms, mm-hmm. and we're all familiar with the little plastic Lego bricks, but 
not many people have tried to um, embed computation into Lego bricks so you can so you can program them to you know raise your shades in the morning or have a long nose on a little robot so it doesn't fall off a table but that's just but that's just what what the Lego Mindstorms project was all about and people can go can it's sort of an expensive toy but you can go out and buy it today but I see that as like that's that that's the awesome promise of enchanted things is when you can have these everyday objects even as as mundane as lego bricks have some sense and some computation in them to allow you to make something and i guess the broader question then becomes how it does change the way we approach the world how it changes our thinking how being free from some of that drudgery that you talk about changes the way we approach things and what becomes the long-term impact of that both from a point of view of how we interact with each other and even from an evolutionary biological point of view it's a great question i'm sure i don't have all of the answers but um, i do think it that the internet of things and enchanted objects does change everything about how we think about technology and how we think about sort of ease of use of technology and the ability for us to focus on the other people in our lives that we um, that where we find the most satisfaction and um, and to not be glued to screens, which you increasingly see today. So I, I have, I have hope for a more humane and tangible and uh, you know, a future where, where we can embed the computation and, and material into the materiality and of our lives. And so it, we can engage with, with, computers we won't think of them as computers in the same way that we engage with the tools around our kitchen or the recliners in our living room or door handles or doorbells or all of the things that all of the tools the familiar tools that we use today does it get us to this kind of technological singularity that there virtually is no difference between the technological world and our daily lives i hope so yeah i mean i hope i hope that we won't we don't think of plastics, for example, as a um, as a novel and bizarre new material. It's just one of the many materials that we use in order to craft the world around us. And I I also hope that that interfaces to technology won't be um, seen as special or extraordinary, but they'll just be embedded and and incidental and in some ways hidden and in some ways. Uh, expressive. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm excited about the Apple Watch for for this reason that it sort of takes a place on your body, which is prime real estate. You know, the wrist, and um, it's really the first internet connected piece of jewelry that you might put there that that is differentiated by fashion and not by function. And I see that as a natural maturation of the tool of tools. Um, and one that will be governed more by the trusted brands from the fashion world like Gucci and Armani and Yves Saint Laurent rather than the uh, tech companies. It's interesting because that's one of the, it was one of the criticisms and perhaps one of the things that people didn't fully understand with respect to the introduction or the prelude to the Apple Watch is that it's not necessarily a total standalone item that it is, in fact, connected to a, a larger universe. Right, and I, 
in the same way that, that uh, apps like If This Then That allow us to program our internet-connected things so we can have our connected car, talk to our nest, talk to our mm-hmm. jawbone up, talk to lighting, talk to, you know, I, I, I'm excited about the ability for anybody to create this super simple programmable recipe of, well, if your, if your lights, if the color of the lights in your home could be mapped to any information, what do you want to attend to? Do you like, is the stock market that important to you <laughs> that you'd want to shift your lighting based on the market <laughs> conditions? Or is that something you want to ignore because you want to instead track blood sugar levels or steps walked by the family or, you know, any, any number of other uh, data that, that could be displayed in this sort of unavoidable way in your life. Does this future, in your view, keep aspects of the terminal world as part of it, as sort of a central clearinghouse in some ways? Yeah, I, I do believe in the cloud. I mean, I don't believe in that there will be one remote control for your life, otherwise known as the smartphone. I I, I really abhor that future because it seems so monopolizing of our t- attention. But I do like the feature that all of these open programming interfaces, these APIs, um, can meet in the cloud, and so we can start to program everything to talk to everything um, on our behalf. I mean, one one such device that we prototyped at the Media Lab was an ordinary trash can that has on the inside lid, on the inside of the lid has a camera and a barcode scanner, so it can notice what you're throwing out and what you're recycling, and it can either give you feedback on on whether you're recycling the right stuff, or it can reorder or put on your Amazon wish list those things that you're throwing away, assuming that you do want another toothbrush or you do, or you do want uh, more strawberries or you do want another um, uh, half gallon of milk. Um, but when we made that device, and, and you know, Amazon has an API, and we just tied directly into that service, but it could just as well be tied into Peapod or any other delivery service. Um, and one of, the, one of the fun things that you discover when you start to program up ordinary things like a trash can in your life is that there's an, there's an opportunity for personalization and for uh, gamification or actually even embedding a little bit of a story into the trash can. So we made uh, somebody live in our trash can, like it was just a character like Oscar the Grouch, and Oscar was looking out for you. And if you threw something out that wasn't sourced locally, like coconut water all the way from Asia, he would propose a more local uh, replacement for that. Uh, or if it was your third box of cookies this week, rather than automatically ordering more, he would give you a little bit of a hard time. Or if you're ordering something that's out of season, like blueberries or strawberries, and could and could be replaced by another fruit, um, he would he would help you with that. But if you didn't like his suggestion, you could always kick the can and to undo his <laughs> to undo his uh, trying to help you out. But I'm but I think I think these things will will be um, the. It, the world of enchanted objects will be embedded in almost everything, even as mundane as 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 trash cans and toilets. Um, but they will be looking out for us if designed right, and they won't monopolize our attention, but they'll free us up to uh, focus on the things that we'd like to focus on. 
to what extent does this relate to the notion that we don't really know what we want, that sometimes we stumble into things we want by accident or, or somebody has to tell us what we want? To what extent is that related to, to what we're talking about? Well, I think, I think designing services, um, I mean, technologically enabled services, uh, you often have unforeseen consequences and you often have, uh, and it's very often hard, hard to anticipate what needs and what wishes um, you will want to, to have satisfied with these devices. And so I'm such a proponent of, of going to Kickstarter or going to Indiegogo, crowdsourced, crowdsourcing websites, um, trying new things, seeing if they have a place in your life, uh, rejecting the ones that don't quickly, um, and experimenting. I mean, I th- the whole spirit of the Media Lab is all about uh, at MIT is all about building new things, creating a project, uh, making sure making it work and making it work quickly, and not talking about it too much, <laughs> but just experiencing it, and then seeing what you can learn from that from that very playful, generative. Like, let's make a smart trash can and see what it does to people, and then trying to put them in a half a dozen homes, and then see how people react over time, and then quickly iterating and quickly changing. Um, and that's, I think that's how we'll learn about how these things affect us and how we'll use them or adopt them or reject them. And I'm sure there will be, it'll be a mess, I think, <laughs> for the next <laughs> 10 years with internet connected things because there, there are, it's now so easy to cobble together hardware and an Arduino, which is a little programmable microcontroller for less than $10. Um, and start making internet-connected jewelry and everything else, um, it'll be a little bit like the first days of, of fonts. Do you, do you remember that? Right, when yes. You could, when you had a Mac and you could sort of pull down the menu and say, ah, oh, let's make it San Francisco font or Palatino or New York. Or, you know, like newsletters got really messy very quickly, but as a, as a whole, as a society, we've really been much more attuned and, and attentive to typography. Does the Internet of Things and Enchanted Objects, as we've been talking about, does it enhance or in some ways help the digital divide that we see? I think it enhances the digital divide. I mean, I think most of the, um, most of the cost uh, constraint of digital technology is really being wiped away by the falling cost curve of these, of microcontrollers. I mean, that the access, you know, there's a Fitbit that costs, what, $149 or something now. Mm-hmm. There's, I just read about a new, a new version that has, that's identical in terms of the bill of materials to the Fitbit, but now costs $10 coming out of China. I mean, I think most of these things will become probably alarmingly dirt cheap um, in terms of the technology. And I, and I think if you're a maker of these things, you only have one way to go, which is to think about how you can differentiate them through style and through fashion. Um, which, and so I'm sure there will be the low cost uh, versions of so many, of so many things that will be accessible to, uh, to, to everyone. Is there a nexus between all that we've been talking about and artificial intelligence in some way? I think there is. I think the, the, the science fiction, uh, fantasy of HAL and other big AIs, or even what Apple's doing now with Siri, um, I think is 
I think we're recognizing increasingly is, is sort of a bankrupt approach, which is rather than making big AIs, what we've seen work is little AI. What we've seen work is um, a car that just turns on the windshield wipers when it's raining or dims the headlights uh, or a chair that can give you feedback on posture. It's not trying to be your analyst. It's just it's just, <laughs> just trying to give you helpful feedback about one thing at a time. And I and I think that will be the way forward for for AI is to um, is to have more a more diffusion and more diversification of services that are all helping us in in little ways like smart pill bottles that are just helping you take your med and they're not trying to be your doctor. In a way, it's really how to make technology more friendly as much as anything else. Well, I think I think you definitely the interfaces will be more friendly and more understandable and more less um, opaque. Uh, but in some ways, it's about like it's almost about expecting less from technology. Like you're you're not expecting you're not expecting your cell phone to be your doctor or to be your shrink or to be your friend. Um, but it's just it's in a way I see it more as sort of putting a technology in its place as a tool and not having. I mean, even though the Internet of Things is one of the most hyped ideas this year, um, it's an, an interesting contrast is is that the things themselves are not trying to be very smart at all. They're just being a little smart. But there's always the tendency to push the envelope, and that if we get to the point of this Internet of Things and these enchanted objects, is there not always going to be the desire to make them do a little more and to push the the technological boundaries further? uh, Yes, I I do think there will always be that that tendency. Um, But I think that the companies that will um, gain the most foothold in the market uh, will be those those companies that are the everyday product companies of today. Uh, you know, office furniture companies, chair companies, kitchen manufacturer, you know, mm-hmm. Hogan Pole or Ticket Kitchen cabinet manufacturers, lighting companies, luggage companies, shoe companies. Like those are, those are the the companies that where I expect to see um, the most impact for being able to bring a little bit of sensing and a little bit of information display into all of those everyday categories, not some new upstart that um, doesn't have any uh, distribution or brand equity uh, with us. So I'm, I'm really excited about you know, seeing what Toomey does with their, lu- with their next line of luggage that embeds a chipset so I don't walk out of the airport with somebody else's bag or I know I get, receive a text message when my bag is coming up on the on the escalator, on whatever the baggage carousel is called. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about those, those companies embedding a little bit of intelligence into the everyday things that they have around them. Um, and I think that's, that's where we'll see the, the proliferation of, of, of smart things. David Rose, his book is Enchanted Objects, Design, Human Desire, and the Internet of Things. David, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for your interest. This has been really fun. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.